From the great state of Ohio, Buckeye Firearms Association presents Keep and Bear Radio, fighting for Second Amendment rights, calling out media lies, and telling the gun grabbers to come and take it. Now, Keep and Bear Radio. Well, here we go. Gun control gone wild. This is unbelievable. H.R. 127, and we're talking about a federal bill here. This is not a bill in Ohio. This is at the federal level. H.R. 127, sponsored by Sheila Jackson Lee, is one of the most outrageous and aggressive anti-gun bills ever introduced. Now, while it falls short of banning guns outright and repealing the Second Amendment, I got to tell you, it comes really close to doing just that. The scope, the ferocity of this bill cannot be overstated. This, folks, is legislation intended to punish law-abiding gun owners and crush personal gun ownership in America. That's what we're going to talk about on this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. I'm Dean Reek, Executive Director of Buckeye Firearms Association, and I'm joined by John Weber, State Director with NRA ILA. John, welcome to the podcast. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. To get us started, can you explain what NRA ILA is? How is that different from just the regular old NRA? The NRA ILA, ILA standing for Institute for Legislative Action, is the lobbying arm and political arm generally of the NRA. So while the NRA proper is focused on our core mission of gun safety and gun education, training, youth sports, gun, you know, the Eddie Eagle safety program, those sorts of things, ILA is focused on legislation both at the federal and state levels, and we engage in lobbying on behalf of our members keeping them informed about what's going on in D.C. and in the state capitals. So what's your role as state director? As state director, I oversee the uh, legislation and political activity in a certain region in the Midwest. I have Illinois, Indiana, and Ohio, along with Delaware, and I'm responsible for all the uh, lobbying, political activity, uh, our grades that we issue, those sorts of things. So that's the ILA side of it, and, and that's where I work. I know you spend a lot of time here in Ohio. You're working directly with Buckeye Firearms Association. Um, you, you're on the phone a lot with our lobbyists and uh, talking with our leaders. I just think it's important for people to know that NRA isn't just at the national level. You're very much at the ground level, and uh, you guys just don't publicize that very much. But, I mean, you're you're really right on the ground game everywhere in the country, Right. We're in all 50 states every day. That's where we uh, we focus a lot of our time and attention. And while it may not get as much publicity as what happens on the federal level, I think most people know, especially in unfriendly states to Second Amendment folks, is that the states are where the real battleground is on these issues. The states are the places that have the harshest restrictions. They're the places where we see the most bills introduced. And um you know, the states are the laboratories. It's also where Congress gets some of its worst ideas. So let's dig into H.R. 127. Let's see what might happen if it would be enacted. And we'll talk about whether it actually can get enacted. When I'm looking at this bill, I'm basically seeing four sort of overarching parts here. First of all, there's a strict 
multi-part licensing system. There's a very invasive, federally controlled gun registry. They're not even hiding it. They're coming right out and saying gun registry. There are fees, of course, that you're going to have to pay. It only mentions one fee, but we'll talk about some of the other fees we know that you're going to face. Finally, they're criminalizing what is really just innocent activity, and they're inflicting some pretty darn harsh penalties. If there's anything in this bill that's going to blow your hair back, it's it's these penalties, and we're going to talk about that in a moment. Let's just first go over this multi-part licensing system. Uh, John, this bill actually has three different licensing schemes. Have you ever seen that before? I mean, I've seen bills where they want a license but this one has three separate licenses. This is unique. That's the most I've ever seen uh, coming out of a state or from terms of federal legislation. And the way it's written that we're going to get into, I don't think there's a gun owner who won't need at least two of these licenses. Yeah, I mean, so the first license is to possess any firearm or any ammunition. Ammunition. I mean, if you want one round of ammunition, you're going to need a license. And not just to buy it. If you have a safe with 50 guns or 100 guns, you're going to need a license for any or all of those. You need a license for every firearm and every individual round of ammunition. Then there's a second then there's a second license and this is and I almost laugh at this one. There's a license to display antique firearms in your home. So I inherited a Springfield musket that comes down through my family from my, I think it's my great, 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 great grandfather who fought in the Civil War. If I decided to mount that, you know, put a nice plaque on it, hang it on the wall, I need a license for that. You need a license and you need to explain how it's going to be displayed. And this is one of the more, well, not egregious, just perplexing pieces of the bill. Because currently, the federal government doesn't consider antique firearms to be firearms. They're not subject to NICS checks. And this bill also requires proof that you own the antique firearm. Now, I'm not sure how in the world, other than possession, you're supposed to prove that you have an antique firearm that up until now the government hasn't considered a firearm. Yeah, I mean, the, the one that I have, this Springfield, which is a nice antique, probably not really worth that much. I just got it when my grandfather passed away. And it was wrapped up in oil paper and just handed to me. There was no paperwork that went with it. I just got it and I stuck it in my crawl space. I don't actually have it mounted. I don't know if that means I don't need a license for it if it's just sitting in the crawl space. But, uh, but you know, that, that, that's just crazy. So, so the first license is to possess firearms or ammunition. The second license would be to display antique firearms in your home. And there's a third license to possess what the bill refers to as military-style weapons, and it goes on to define that, but basically we know what that means. It's your AR-15s, your AK-47s, or anything they decide is a military-style weapon. Now, this, this entire licensing scheme, incredibly, would be controlled by one person, the U.S. Attorney General, and it would be implemented through the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, the ATF, John, one of the really scary things about this is the attorney general is a political appointee. So a, a president gets elected, appoints an attorney general, and this one person 
would literally control every gun in the country and every round of ammunition. That might be the farthest I've ever seen a bill reach. Have you ever seen anything even remotely close to that? No, it's unbelievable that you have a political employee, as you said, in charge of determining a constitutional right. And the powers are pretty broad throughout the entirety of the bill in terms of the discretion that the attorney general will have to implement this. And so you can imagine the immediate concerns with who the with Merrick Garland being the attorney general and then the future concerns. We could be on a a seesaw back and forth, depending on changes of administration, changes of attorney general and whatever they're feeling on a given day. Yeah, I mean, we've just gotten started on what the attorney general through the ATF would have control of. But let's uh, let's just to give people an idea uh, to get this basic license, this license to own a firearm or ammunition. I want to run through what it would take, the, the hoops you're going to have to jump through here. First of all, you have to be 21 years of age. So, you know, there goes taking your children hunting, I guess, or, or giving them a, a firearm, uh, you know, to get them started in, in sport or whatever. Have to be 21 years of age. You have to undergo a criminal background check. And this is for any gun. There's, there are no carve-outs. This is for every single gun. You have to, now hold on to your seat for this one. You have to submit to a psychological evaluation. And, and this evaluation is going to be carried out by a psychologist that is handpicked by the U.S. Attorney General. And the evaluation may at the discretion of this medical professional, extend to other members of your household. So anybody living with you may have to go through this evaluation as well. And this could include interviews with your spouse, interviews with your former spouse. That's going to work out really well, right? And at least two other family members or associates, plus complete minimum 24-hour training course, certified by the U.S. Attorney General, you're going to have to purchase firearms liability insurance sold by the U.S. Attorney General. And apparently that's going to cost $800. I don't even know how that's going to work. The Attorney General now, I guess, is an insurance agent. Is that even legal? And then the license, all of these hoops that you have to jump through, you're going to have to renew this license every year for the first five years. And then you get a little bit of a reprieve. You have to renew it only every three years Thereafter, So the, all of this stuff every year for five years. And you can be turned down for pretty much anything. If you're addicted to alcohol or a controlled substance, if you've had psychological treatment. So I guess, you know, you get depressed, you talk to a psychologist, and boom, there go your, your gun rights. This is insane. About half the country right off the bat would be disqualified. Am yeah. I am I am I reading that right? Am I exaggerating? Absolutely. This is an attack on well, the twenty-one years of age is an attack on our hunting heritage. You know, it's an absolute deterrent to people seeking treatment. So it's a further attack on you know a large part of the society, especially after a year of lockdowns. Communities particularly hit hard by PTSD and things like that, such as law enforcement and military. And you know, it's an attack on anyone who. Once, if you want to give your child a gun when they go off to college, can't do it. If a member of the military is overseas and they have a spouse here who's 18 to 21 years of age, that person's on their own. One person in the house, no firearms for you while your spouse is off protecting our country. I mean, I just, I, I'm just 
I'm stunned. I'm I'm almost speechless. And and we've only just begun to talk about this. I mean, that's just licensing. So you're going to have all of this data, and they're saying right in the bill that they're going to use this data to create a federally controlled gun registry. Of course, again, controlled by the U.S. Attorney General, implemented through the ATF, and it will include every firearm in the United States. It doesn't matter when you got it, um, how old it is, not every single one. And for every firearm you purchase, now just visualize this. Think about the logistics. You go and you buy a gun, you're going to have to submit to the ATF the make, model, serial number, your identity, the date you acquired the firearm, the location of its storage. So I guess you have to say, well, I've got this gun in the safe, I've got this other gun in, a, in my sock drawer, I've got the other gun in a range bag, the location of everyone, and the identity of anyone to whom you loan the firearm and for what time period. And and here's here's the scary part. This is the, this is the part that makes the hair on the on the back of my neck stand up. This database will be accessible to the general public, to law enforcement, to all branches of the armed forces and all state and local governments. I mean, good lord, John. This this is this is a shopping list for criminals. And what's this deal with all the branches of the armed forces? That that is very ominous. What does the military need to know about my firearms or your firearms in our homes? No more than they need to know what religious books we have. I mean, this is government sanctioned doxing. You know, where they would oftentimes people on Twitter or wherever else a government official would make a decision they disagree with and they would release their home information. And next thing you know, there's a protest at their home. That's absolutely what this is setting up. So harassment for gun owners is one side of it. But as you said, it's also a, an open market for criminals to farm weapons. They know exactly where they are, who has them. And then if you follow someone's social media or sit outside their house, it's not hard to know when they aren't around and when you might be able to go in there and 15 minutes, clear them out. Well, I mean, it's setting up for confiscation too, right? Because if law, enfor- and law enforcement knows what guns you have and where they are in your home, the, the military knows about it. I mean, you're talking about a Kat- Katrina-style situation that just times a million, right? Well, then and with all these loopholes for the licensing and the multiple steps to all of this, if at any point in time your license isn't valid or maybe you missed the mark on time by a little bit, you have to turn your firearms over to the attorney general. So here we go. That's why the military knows where they are. And the other part, too, that we didn't really touch on too much with the licensing would be the psychological exam. I don't think it should be lost on anyone. The number of actual, you know, somewhat mainstream psychologists that have argued even wanting to own a firearm is a mental problem. Oh, yeah. I mean, and the attorney general gets to more or less hand select all of these people, right? So, I mean, it's not Absolutely. like how many conservative psychologists are you think are going to be on that approved list? How many? How many even Republicans are going to be on that approved list? I mean, this is this is not. They're not even trying to hide it. They're not trying to make it seem rational. It's just insane, and they're letting all the the insaneness just be right there on on the page. Uh, they they don't seem to care. No, they're laying it all out there, and it's very clear who this is going after. It's only setting up traps for people attempting to follow the law. Criminals who aren't already following the law, 
this isn't going to impact them. None of this is. They're going to keep going about their ways, and they're going to be a lot harder to find than we are because they don't try to comply with the law. So we've covered the first two buckets of uh, insanity in this bill. The third bucket would be the fees. Now, all the bill actually specifies is $800, and I'm not sure how they arrive at that. $800 on an annual fee for firearm liability insurance. So I'm not sure what company is going to get that. Is that State Farm? Is that, you know, what? Who, who gets this contract or, or is this some sort of liability insurance with the government? None of that specified. However, you know, in the real world, we can guess that there's going to be fees for the firearm and, and ammunition license, right? There's, there's got to be a fee to support that. The antique firearm license, the military style weapon license, the background check is going to cost you something. The mandated training course, the psychological evaluation, psychologists aren't going to do this for free. You know, I just went through this and I was being very generous, very conservative in my figures. And I came up, again, very conservatively with $1,250 just for the first year. Now, I I think it's going to be way, way more than that. But just based on that calculation, the first five years, when you look at everything that's in the bill, would be somewhere around $5,450. Again, I think it would be more expensive than that, but that's what I'm getting to. And that's just the first five years. And that doesn't count the guns. That doesn't count the ammunition. That doesn't count, you know, anything else that that you're going to encounter, you know, the the regular classes, concealed handgun classes or anything else. And, And what's really bizarre, who can afford this? I mean, only rich people can afford guns. This is but, Sheila. This is Sheila Jackson Lee, and yep, she's basically privilege now. It is no longer a right. It is right. absolutely a privilege for the wealthy, the elite, the connected, and that license that that conservative number you threw out. That's for one. That's for one person in your household. Right. Everyone in your household is going to need to have this. So the fees will and ten, twenty thousand dollars right off the bat all the time. You're doing this going through it year after year. The and the the time cost. There's a real time cost associated to all of these things as well. So that's that's three parts. Let's get to the fourth part. This is the part that I said earlier is going to blow your hair back. The, the, the penalties on this are just insane. It's going to be illegal to sell, give, or loan a firearm or ammunition to another person unless you notify the U.S. Attorney General. It's going to be unlawful to... Uh, Transfer a firearm or ammunition to an unlicensed person, unlawful to transfer a firearm to an individual who is not uh, old enough. 50 caliber ammunition is out. A large capacity magazines, which they define as anything more than 10 rounds, it's all out. If you violate any portion of this bill, we're, we're, I'm not, I'm not going to go through all the individual penalties, but H.R. 127 imposes fees, fines, of anywhere up to $150,000 and prison sentences that could reach up to 40 years. 40 years. I could literally murder somebody and spend less time in prison than I would spend in prison for violating parts of this bill. <laughs> I, yeah, I'm sorry. I pay I, fees for failing to do paperwork. You are worse than a murderer. Absolutely. For slight compliance issues, you will be deemed one of the most dangerous criminals in the country. 
Yeah. And this $800 for the attorney general, I mean, when you look at this bill, there's only one line and one mention of that. There's, there's nothing in here that establishes a, a procedure for an insurance company or anything else. I'm, it reads more like a fee than it does insurance because there's no protection here. I mean, do you think that if you pay this $800 to the federal government and your gun's stolen, that you are more likely to be reimbursed through the insurance program or prosecuted for an illegal transfer? Yeah, I mean, I I can't explain it. Uh, I the it's just I'm I'm literally without words. Uh, this this goes farther than any bill. I mean, it makes you a little nostalgic, doesn't it, for the days when they were just saying, "Hey, we want to ban ARs." You know, we thought that was bad. And you read this bill, and you're thinking, you know, I kind of wish that's all they wanted. You know that, does, that it's much more straightforward to understand that you just can't have something right than to be put into a trick bag being told you can have something with such complicated and difficult steps to go through that it's essentially a trap to try to own it. It's going to be harder to own a firearm than it is to not own one. It's going to be harder to legally own one than it's going to be to end up in jail. It's going to be easier to get in jail than it is to buy a gun. Well, John, what this, this is what this is really doing. I mean, let's, let's be serious in the United States. This is going to create a situation for base where basically half the population become federal criminals uh, they're, they're, unless they go door to door and just seize all the guns uh, you're going to have rampant law breaking you're going to create a massive black market for guns i mean if we thought that prohibition was bad and the, the kind of criminal activity that created this is going to be a hundred times worse this is, this is insane beyond any insanity I've ever seen in a bill. Yeah. What do you do if you're a person who values protecting your family more than anything else in life, you're going to put that ahead of your own health in terms of some of the psychological parts of this. You're not going to go seek treatment. If you have depression, if you live somewhere rural, what do you do about this? And you know, it's 45 minutes for the police to come to help your family if something should happen, but you don't have five, ten thousand dollars to give the government to legally own a lever action. It will force people into an untenable, unacceptable decision of their own safety versus compliance with the government. So, you know, let's let's talk Turkey now. Can this bill pass? I mean, right now, and I looked at this right before we started recording this podcast, that there have been no votes on this bill, no hearings. There are no co-sponsors. I, you know, we're not trying to panic people here, but is there any realistic chance that this could pass? Well, with everything we're seeing come out of D.C. these days and what we saw in the COVID relief package, 9% of it being for COVID, I wouldn't put anything past them. Or at the very least, this is just her first step in putting it out there. Now there's a concept that's in existence and the lack of co-sponsors, I wouldn't take necessarily as a lack of support. There are absolutely, I think, plenty of members of Congress who would like to sign on to this that just haven't yet because they've been advised not to. But we would absolutely expect to see certain legs of this, if not the whole thing, rolled into another bill possibly and shoved through the way they shoved through the COVID relief package. Uh, I don't think it's likely, but yeah, it's possible. So so you're saying this, this might be just step one of negotiation uh, they, they introduce something that's just outrageous and then they pull back from it a little bit or, or put pieces in other legislation and, and everyone says, well, you know, wow, that's, that's a lot better. Sure. Okay. 
if you put this out there as a marker, where does the where, what does that do to common sense? Then it moves the goalpost on all of this in terms of their messaging and how they talk about things. And and they already say that we fight common sense laws all the time. They're going to use this to kind of move the goalpost on that and to further and further their direction of what they believe common sense is, which is an unarmed America. Yeah, this is. I, I don't know how else to describe it. This is the, the most insane bill. I've I've ever seen. I think our conclusion is it probably won't pass, but it might. In the current environment, there is a chance. So we'd better really stay vigilant on this. Uh, can you tell our listeners what they can do if they want to uh, push back on this or express their opinion? I would tell folks, and I know they probably hear it a lot, but it is not an understatement to say that members of Congress do listen to their constituents 100%. You reach out to them, write your own letter. Don't use a form letter or something. Write a letter. Think about, write about how this impacts your family, your community. Let them know the realities of this. And it will make a difference to some of these people when they realize how egregious this is. And exactly, they have a lot of bills in Congress that come across their desk. They don't read all of them. They barely read a couple of them, I would guess. So they need to be educated on exactly what this is and exactly how it impacts people that follow the law and people that do the right thing and how punitive it is to them. They will listen to some extent. This will show them that it's not common sense. It's not just gun rights groups that are, have problems with this. It's every individual in America. It's the 8.4 million folks who purchased their first firearm in the last year, which are going to be felons under this bill for the most part. All kinds of people. Well, John, thanks for helping us understand this bill, H.R. 127. We have an article on the website about this at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you want to uh, look it up there, just uh, use the search bar at the top right and type in H.R. 127. We have a very detailed article, which I wrote, and it, it walks you through the bill. And there's a link where you can go to the federal website and read the bill for yourself. If, you, uh, if you're into horror, download the bill, read it. This is scarier than anything from Stephen King, I guarantee you. John, thanks again for being on the show. Uh, let's, let's just hope this never passes. Absolutely. Hang in there. We'll keep doing our job and we'll hold this off as much as possible. And we'll, I feel optimistic with the engagement of lawful gun owners. That's all for this episode of Keep and Bear Radio. If you enjoyed the podcast, I urge you to subscribe. And please subscribe to the Buckeye Firearms Association newsletter at BuckeyeFirearms.org. If you'd like to become a member and support the work of BFA, go to JoinBFA.org. Use the discount code PODCAST to get $10 off your membership. That's JoinBFA.org. We'll see you next time on Keep and Bear Radio.